0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Commission Cast Series. I'm going to start calling it that, because uh, it seems to be a series. We've been doing a bunch of these the last few weeks. This time we're back with one of my all-time favorite comedies. Uh, you know I'm a big fan of zombies. It should be no surprise that a zombie comedy film is my favorite. It's Shaun of the Dead, 2004. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about who commissioned this and what they have to say about it.
1: Uh, so Joel Harris is the commissioner for this podcast, and he gave us a... Uh, a choice, a dilemma. He's like, I want yep. you to do either Shaun of the Dead or Kung Fu Hustle. We've seen and enjoyed both of those movies. I, and we're like, well, which one do you want to do? And I went back to him. I'm like, are you sure you don't like leaning slightly towards one of these, the other? And he's like, nope, nope. Gotta make you.
0: <laughs> yeah, we asked him multiple times.
1: Right. So we stripped down to our waist and bare knuckle brawled. And Jim, Jim won. He's scrappy. Yeah,
0: he, I'm, I'm quick. I mean, that's all
1: I've got going for me. Because <laughs> I got, I, I had a slight preference for Kung Fu Hustle. Yep. Because I'm not a big zombie fan. Mm-hmm. And you had the, the slight preference for, so what we actually did is we've got this
0: thing called the, the, the Coin of Doom. <laughs> it's a coin that got shipped to me out of out of the blue. Not to you, to the Bald Move headquarters. Okay, yeah. To Bald Move, out completely out of the blue from China. Yeah. I couldn't tell you what. Kind of coin it is. It looks like a fake coin. I don't think it's like real. Hand it to me.
1: I I, th- I thought it was a silver. Do- I thought it's a silver dollar, like a genuine silver dollar. Is
0: it genuine? Maybe I don't this know. thing is worth something. Maybe got to look an it
1: Accidental, up. <laughs> uh... because it it purports to be. Wait, but the <laughs> thing is, the it, it's got the words "copy" stamped on the back. Okay, so it's a, so a, it's replica, a replica
0: of a silver dollar from 1885. I guess. But we have So no- somebody who's who's like seventy five and does a lot of home shopping network stuff <laughs> ordered it's this also thing a up. Fan. It's it somehow got shipped to me, and we use it to determine the outcome of things like driving to lunch. Where yeah, are we who's, going? Who's driving? Yep. Uh, and in this case we used it to determine which movie we were going to cover. Yeah.
1: It's essentially the third
0: partner of Bald Move. <laughs> it gets the cast. It's the one making all the decisions. <laughs> when we're at a
1: loggerhead, it's what gets trotted out to this do to, to make the tiebreaker. Yeah. So, it uh, was in your favor, sir. Yep, and of course I picked Shaun the Dead. And Joel Harris has this to say as preamble. It "says The thing I'd like to say about Shaun is it opened my mind to receive the rest of the Cornetto trilogy with anticipation and satisfaction, mm-hmm. where previously I would have never given them a chance at all. The mind-boggling amount of homages to horror zombie tropes that have come before show not only brilliance in the way they are interwoven into the original story, but also a great respect to the filmmakers that paved the road for them. I love that it ultimately balances comedy, horror, and empathetic character arcs with equal aplomb. Hard to disagree.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Oh,
1: Some of you might be saying, Coronado, what now? And the only reason I know anything about this is because our good friend Eric Walquist over at Personal Arrogance did an extended segment about the Coronado trilogy. Yeah. And what all binds them together. I just assumed it was kind of like a happy Gilmore Happy Madison production where these guys are just buddies and they do stuff and but there's stuff that binds so what is the Coronado trilogy? you know
0: more about this than I do, yeah, I think it's cornetto cornetto i'm I'm not certain it's a it's some British ice cream brand uh i guess so yep. uh ba- basically they're tied together kind of thematically and it was almost not intentional at the beginning um he was going into hot fuzz, Edgar Wright was, and he uh, people were asking him, okay, you've got Cornetto in, in Shaun of the Dead, and I see, like, you've got some Cornetto ice cream in this, and that was just something that he liked and and used. Yeah. And so it kind of became a thing because people kept pointing it out to him, uh, and he was like, okay, let's see what I'm writing World's End if I can tie all these things together. Sure. Uh, and so he did, and thematically, he, he kind of justified it uh, post-hoc where he said, Oh, yeah, the uh, strawberry ice cream in the first one represents the bloody, gory side of Shaun uh-huh. of the Dead. You got the blue original flavor, which is the police aspect of Hot Fuzz. Sure. And then The World's End, you go mint chocolate chip, which is the green aliens uh, invading the world, uh-huh. that sort of thing. Uh, but I feel I get the feeling that it was all kind of retroactive. So that's the, the Coronado trilogy, is Shaun of the
1: Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End.
0: Yeah, and they're all kind of tied together. Um, thematically uh with questions about you know perpetual adolescentness mm. or being being perpetually adolescent uh growing up What's stuff it like mean that to be an adult yeah yeah and he kind of addresses that near the end of uh the third film and and they're also tied together you know just stylistically because that's the kind of films that these guys make yeah uh, and there there's a lot of stuff that you see recurring throughout these films that I won't talk too much about here but they're they're really cool when you see them they're funny This movie, I wrote, the very first thing in my notes is this is a movie about growing up.
1: Okay. But then when we were having lunch today, we kind of did some pre-cast debate, which we try not to do, honestly. (laughs) Not too much, yeah. Uh, And we put a a nip to it quick. But I was kind of surprised to find we both had similar views of being kind of confused about what the filmmakers think that means. Because, you know, there's been this idea of growing up. Especially and I'm gonna talk as a middle aged white man here, but I feel like that there before our generation there's this concept of growing up that includes like at some point you will stop playing with toys, mm-hmm. you you maybe engage in sports, but, but then you'll eventually get too old and broken down, and then you wear knee high black socks and uh-huh. you start watching shitty television and you barbecue and you look dour and you drink beer and you never have any fun anymore. Okay. And and that is kind of like growing up. Yeah. And increasingly, I think our generation and younger are kind of rejecting that. It's like, fuck that. We can still play video games and we can still have Star Wars action figures on our, you know, display cases or whatnot. Or we can be mm-hmm. geekier and nerdier and more childlike, but grow up in a sense of hold down a job and take care of responsibilities. Yeah. Um, that's the kind of adulthood I subscribe to. But that's not really an evidence in this movie. It's much more of the older dichot- dichotomy. It seems like or it. Or maybe I'm... an uneasy
0: fusion of the two. Are we just going to go into discussion at the end of the film right now? What, <laughs> is, what is the hell we, else are we going to do? want to do? Scene by scene recap? I mean... No, I want to talk about some of, some of our favorite scenes and why they work and okay. all, all this kind of stuff. But I also wanted to talk a little bit about, about our background with, with this film, because I, I have... You know, I kind of lump this film in with some of my other all-time favorites, which get rewatched over and over again, like mm-hmm. The Big Lebowski and Office Space, and those kind of timeless classic comedies that somehow work despite how many times you've seen them. Okay, and make you laugh, and I, I'm trying to figure out what what the essence of that is. Uh, if it's just nostalgia, if it is uh, a style of comedy that is actually. Uh, useful beyond the first viewing. Even when you know the jokes are coming, they're so well executed that it still works. There's some of that. Because I feel like that's a big part of this film is they, like, yeah, the first time through, you're going, oh, here's what I expect to happen. And when they subvert that, it's like, oh, that was brilliant. That mm-hmm. was amazing. How did they even come up with that? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the 25th time through, that shouldn't have the same effect. And, and when I watch this film, I know what's coming. And yet, I always laugh at it.
1: There's a couple, sure. Now I don't watch it as I've I've this is probably the fourth time I've seen the movie, maybe the may, maybe yeah. more because it, it gets fairly heavier Halloween rotation as well. But yeah. I'm trying to think of other movies. Like there's some movies like Airplane okay. that you wa if you watch it more the the more you watch it the less it's funny. Yeah, but if you give it a 10 year break and you come back and watch it, it can be funny again because you've forgotten a lot of the gags and some of the stuff that was edgy at the time seems quaint and some of the stuff that was just kind of like is like incredibly offensive now because of people's tastes. And sure. Stuff. Oh, yeah. And there's like that kind of interesting thing. Mm-hmm. And then there's some things like Young Frankenstein where yeah. th-
0: there's some stuff that's just a belly laugh and it never really gets old. Uh, I, I feel like it has a lot to do with performances yeah. I feel like Simon Pegg and Nick Frost In this are just perfect So Young Frankenstein is not a good movie Like it's essentially <laughs>
1: gag After gag after gag Sure but Gene Wilder is hilarious Yeah and Terry Gar's at the height of her powers And yep. it's, it's it's Got a lot of really good really good Shtick in it um, But I would say The Shaun of the Dead is underlying It's being underlied By a fairly well constructed movie
0: Yeah Yeah, I think so. I mean, you know, it is a zombie or whatever they want to want to call those zombie comedies. But it doesn't focus too heavily on the zombie aspect. Right. In the beginning, the stakes are like
1: so low that, you know, one of the most successful gags early on is just the fact that you're hip deep into the zombie apocalypse before you even realize it. Yeah. Because this guy's personal experience with the world is so surface level that he doesn't see that, you know, like these, you know. He wakes up for the first scene, and he's like a zombie mm-hmm. because he's just been ground down by this kind of boring existence. I
0: don't know. Yeah, it feels like a refresher on some of the Romero stuff. You know, I mean, it's 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 certainly more of a comedy than Romero's stuff is. Yeah. But it also has a tinge of social commentary about you know us being uh, not engaged in our lives, sure, things like that, just um, sleepwalking, through perpetual it. adolescence, all that kind of stuff. And and I think that makes it more interesting than just your standard zomity type movie i think the other
1: interesting things are about like the practical considerations like when they first find out the blows to the head cause trauma and they get uh scott or what is his name oh, yeah sean i guess you should really easy oh, to remember the sean. main character yeah it's pretty easy. Uh, they get sean's record collection out and he's like suddenly he's like well <laughs> let's not just do any any albums and they're like thumbing through it's like oh batman soundtrack yeah throw it
0: Uh oh yeah get rid of that shit
1: all that stuff is really i think it's it's really funny and the fact that like uh something really amuses me about them using a cricket bat the the
0: funnier thing in that scene though there are a couple of other things i want to say about that particular record stuff i think the funnier part about that is the records that he doesn't want to throw like he does not want to throw certain records even though he's ostensibly protecting his life here right Right. his life he's in mortal danger and there are some records he'd rather hold on to. Sure, sure. That's a pretty hilarious concept. But also, it's I like that because the single zombie
1: wasn't a truly life and death threat. That's, so that's like true. Yeah, they scaled the provo- <laughs> you know, the response to the provocation. Which yeah, you know, um, like when zombies first show up, the response isn't to burn your house down. Okay. You know what I mean, yeah. Like you. So it's like it's, it's to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. yeah you don't want to just needlessly throw away your valuable possessions.
0: The the other cool thing about that is. If you notice, the record that they first pick up and throw that lodges in the big zombie's head, uh, that is the record that their roommate throws out the window when they're partying yes. that night yes. Electro. Yep, I didn't know that. And uh, they do that throughout the film. They mm-hmm. set up these tiny little moments that are inconsequential like, close in the plot the of the film. Like, close the fucking front door. What's exactly. wrong with you? Multiple times that's brought up. And then, whoop, here comes a zombie right through the front door when yep. they least expect it. It's... The way that they seamlessly integrate stuff that you don't expect to come back, but mm-hmm. then it does, uh, I think is genius. And even, like, you can say that about his stepfather and relationship. And,
1: you know, the slight personal growth he got through that, uh-huh. they they kind of, uh, you know, establish this guy as this giant asshole of a stepfather. Yeah. And you get to know him, and he's not really that bad. Clearly, Simon Pegg has been... Well, I don't know because that's that's the one thing that I haven't figured out in this movie was Simon Pegg his shit or was this going to do a bad stepfather because it's implied that that's a he good chased question. him around with a piece of wood mm-hmm. and the his mother is an impression that he called him a bad name and and Sean protests that
0: yeah I think the interesting thing about that is maybe the the stepfather was doing what he thought he needed I mean at the end he. He claims you know all I ever wanted to give you was a strong example and give you motivation to be something better, mm-hmm. and you know that manifested itself in a way that Sean didn't understand mm-hmm. in a way that was antagonistic to him uh and I think you know he he finally gets that when he when he spells it all out for him, yeah, but you know it's it's a case of two people just having a deep misunderstanding of each other. Uh and I thought that was fairly poignant. I mean, ultimately this is more of a relationship comedy than anything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it plays with zombie tropes and stuff, but really at the core of it, it's about Sean and Liz, uh, and his his growing up and his maturing, uh, and his relationship with his parents and his stepfather, all that. Yeah. But again, what is so so we're not ready to talk about the end yet? fine let's talk about the end there's a lot of stuff to talk about here sure i'm i'm not trying to rush you i just i just want to forget about this one (laughs) okay yeah so so what do you want to say about the end of this movie why is he growing up at the end two sugars instead of zero in his tea or coffee or whatever it is so the Uh, fact that he is no longer
1: consciously running away from his stepfather's preference
0: yeah, I so feel he's like he's made peace he's, with that. He's maybe branching out a little bit. Yeah, I think the stepfather stuff is tied up in there. His mother dying is, you know, I mean, that
1: is, is a step of growing up, I guess, saying goodbye to her, making a tough decision. Absolutely, yeah. But um, at the end of the movie, it's like he's doing the exact same things he was doing before. It's just his apartment is slightly cleaner and yep. it's more tastefully decorated mm-hmm. and he's better dressed. Ed's in the shed. But, but Ed's in the shed. And also, you had an interesting point about Liz that, you know, in the beginning of the movie, she's worried about, if I stay with you, I'm going to spend every goddamn night in this pub, uh-huh. and I want to travel, and I want to do all these exciting things, and I want my life to ultimately mean more. But in yeah. the, the movie, she seems pretty content to just sit around and do not- nothing.
0: Yeah, he comes out, asks her what the plan is. She's like, tea, newspaper, go to the pub, dinner at home, and then sleep. So is that is that a... Unhappy compromise they both made with like I'll come a al- I- it kind of feels like it yeah like maybe part of growing up is uh not having so much fun and uh at least in this movie's message I just want to say mm-hmm. that is you know g- kind of giving up some things that you like in order to have a lifestyle that is considered responsible you right. know I mean before look at look at their apartment it's a fucking wreck sure right. Ed's living on the couch. He's got beer bottles, beer cans everywhere. Uh, They're just sitting around playing video games, doing nothing. Mm -hmm. At the end of this, I kind of felt like he had experienced maybe some internal growth, uh, but it wasn't really manifest in his lifestyle. And I can't tell if that's a win for him or not. Hmm. I
1: can't identify, because I felt like I've had friendships in the past that have more or less held me back, or, or they were... That I had, and, and I'm, it's not a judgment call, but I had achieved a level of adulthood or a level of responsibility that made the relationship no longer work.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Like, you know, I had to do these certain responsibilities and stuff, and these people still are not. And, like, it's not like you had a blowout or falling out. It's just there's no longer room in your life for those types of people. Is that good or bad or what?
0: Uh, I... I'm not wanting to be too quick to to judge that because, hmm. I mean, it can be, I, I don't know, it's more natural than good or bad. Hmm. Like a moralistic judgment call, I don't know. Okay. Uh, I, I think, you know, people have separate paths in life and uh, this, they will sometimes diverge. Do you think one of the
1: lessons of the movie is sometimes you need to have a slovenly... Uh, irresponsible friend to go beast mode in case the zombies... Because <laughs> that was the one... If I could say... Yeah. The one thing he brought to the table was Ed was really, really good at fearlessly confronting
0: zombies. Sure. Yeah, he, he seemed to be a little more uh, wild of a spirit than Sean was. Uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess that's a good thing. And in the end, you know, Ed is still there. Mm. It's not like he has abandoned his friend uh, in favor of this new quote-unquote maturity that he's found. Uh, but he is relegated to a sort of limited existence in his life,
1: you know? Well, that's interesting. So I, when I first saw this movie, I remember thinking this, and I, and I actually saw it very recently in in you know comparison to when it came out because I'm pretty sure the first time I saw it was when you uh, moved in with me the first time. Hmm, we just okay. watched it some random afternoon. And I'm like, oh, okay. And I remember thinking that the ending was almost kind of heartwarming but the more I watch it, the more I see it as kind of being dark because, <laughs> okay. I mean, Ed's sitting around and playing video games and trying to bite Sean every time he sees him. And uh-huh. That's their life. But that was their kind of life before, except substitute fart for bite, I guess.
0: Yeah, I mean, the so bite the Ed is... is
1: never, ever, ever going to change. No, I, I think you're right about that. And there is something a little sad about that in very much uh-huh. the same way that they play with The World's End. Where if you if you peak when you're a 16 year old and you never advance beyond that, I'm not saying that the experience of a 16 year old are invalid or not awesome or great, but there's so many cool things about being an adult <laughs> and you know, yep. seeing
0: the world, the broader world around you, that it does always strike me as sad. Yeah, I think I'm mostly with you there. Um I, I think, you know, if you want to take the analogy, the zombie analogy a little bit further. Uh, Ed trying to bite Sean seems to me like, you know, he's got this guy who has this lifestyle in his shed, right? This, and, and I don't know what they're trying to say about video games as relates to adulthood here. Um, but Ed is perpetually stuck in this cycle. There is no cure for being a zombie. Right. He's stuck in it. Um, and every time he tries to bite Sean, when he goes out there, it feels like he's trying to pull him back into that world. Mm -hmm. And Sean is resisting that, you know?
1: He's, well, he's like, trying
0: to be more grown-up. You know, I, I've had
1: friends that spend eight-plus hours a day playing WoW. Sure. And for a year-plus at a time. Mm-hmm. And, and in the middle of it, you'd ask them, like, why are you doing this? It's because they enjoy it. But every single time, I can think of this as having, like, two or three times, when i talk talked to them, like, after they've eventually gotten out of it. Uh-huh. Maybe they're still... And, and I'm like, they're always universally like, man, that was some of the shittiest times of my life. Sure. It is a really... I mean, that's the thing about video games. Um, like, I intentionally limit my time in playing them because I do feel like that there is a concern where if all I did was play this all the time for years on end, mm-hmm. that it would feel like I wasted my life. Yeah. In the same way that if i that's all I did as far as television or watching movies or jerking off or whatever. Like, if you just do anything... That is a passive consumption for that long. It
0: feels like you're just shoveling parts of your life into a furnace. I think that's the crux of our problem with the end of this movie is that he that's, becomes more domesticated but not more involved in his life. No. And for Ed, for a spe- – it's it's a death sentence. Yeah, yeah. It's I a mean, really bleak existence. Sure. Ed's, Ed's a, hope, a hopeless case in my opinion. Right. Um, but, but the – the growth that you see reflected in his home and his relationship with Liz, uh, I'm talking about Sean here, mm-hmm. is is not one that to me signifies much growth. He's not out exploring the world. He's not doing anything outside of what he did with Ed, except now he has two sugars in his tea.
1: Yeah, I like I said, I, I think... It's a very superficial, not, not substantial change in him. And it's hard to put my finger on because, yes, the theme of the movie is about growing up, but then the last final reveal... You're right. It's it's kind of ambiguous about how I'm supposed to feel about that.
0: Yeah, I wonder if that's just because the bankers of this film have a different opinion on what growing up means, or maybe they intended to be dark. Or
1: yeah, or it could be that like you know, if you have real life friends, and yes, you play a lot of video games, but you get out and you go to the pub, you know, a couple times a week, and and you unplug and you get to see your friends and you get to have a good time because Ed was happy. Ed's really happy. Yeah, I think you're right. He wasn't, (laughs) like, you know, there's not a whiff of depression about him. Yeah. So, like, there's also maybe something that says, like, well, maybe you don't have to go out and explore the world and do all these things. As long as you have a community you feel connected to and some Uh sense of family uh, and you get out in the sunshine once a week, then that's that kind of contented life with that that level of existence is somewhat noble, too.
0: Hmm. Okay. Potentially, yeah.
1: I mean, eventually I imagine that in this universe, Sean will have a kid and they'll all go to hell because that's when you really have to start making <laughs> serious compromises. Oh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um but sure.
0: If somebody doesn't have a kid, I don't know.
1: Yeah. It's uh it's it's the greatest and worst thing that happened to you all in
0: one, yeah. one combination. <laughs> Bittersweet. Uh th- so a little bit about like where I put Sean of the Dead kind of in in zomb- zombie lore here. Okay. Uh 28 days later came out 2 years before this in 2002. And it was the first thing I can think of where I said, "Hmm, this is kind of a resurgence of the zombie genre." Like I had been a big fan throughout the 90s of a lot of the the mid to or mid 80s to early 90s zombie films which were very campy. I mean, across the board they were campy. Even if you look at Romero's stuff, a lot of it is campy. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Dawn of the Dead has a lot of campy shit in it. Um, Night, I felt like Night these... of the Living
1: Dead has a shitload of oh, yeah. campy stuff in it.
0: Yeah, and Day of the Dead is campy beyond belief. Yeah, um, but I felt like these were a new breed of zombie films. Twenty Eight Days Later, Shaun of the Dead, it they're was more kind intelligent. Of a resurgence.
1: They're more critically re- relevant.
0: Yeah, they yeah, especially
1: with Twenty Eight Days Later, they that... weren't just lie, uh, relying on the now. The, the shock value. But, yeah. you know, I don't think it's fair to say that Romero's movies weren't unintelligent.
0: No, they were definitely intelligent.
1: Because there's a lot of smart, critical commentary, but this is a way to keep that but up the production
0: values uh-huh. and make them scary. And again. make smarter jokes, I think. Yeah. Um, you, you know, the comedy in this is more refined than the comedy in many, sure. many zombie films. Sure. Uh, so when I saw this, I was, I was also blown intentional. away. intentional. Because that's the thing about the Night yes. of the Living Dead.
1: I don't know that a lot of the stuff that I find <laughs> funny about that was intended to be funny in the day. Okay. You might be right about that. It's more like hysterical women getting slapped and – Sure. That has a, know, a certain humor to it. ludicrous survival instincts or lack thereof. Uh-huh, setting
0: it's... your truck on fire accidentally. <laughs> yeah. Dumbass. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this was more more pointed comedy. And I thought it it was very different from anything I had seen as far as the pacing and the style of it too – Except for these really quick cuts that they do, where they're doing something mundane like pouring a bowl of cereal. Mm -hmm. And in a series of like six or seven, I don't know, half-second cuts, not even, Mm -hmm. like a third of a second, they'll go through that whole process. Uh, Milk out of the fridge, bowl on the table, cereal in it, milk in the bowl, and then milk back in the fridge. That's a hallmark of this particular of Edgar Wright, correct? I think so. The first time I remember seeing anything like it was in Requiem for a Dream which is, I think, came out in 2000, and they did that with the drug sequences, the the sequences of them shooting up. Um, And it evoked, you know, a very manic kind of heroin feel to it. Right. Uh, I I wonder if they lifted that from from Requiem for a Dream. Well, also maybe
1: if we're going to keep with that thematically, is it's a way to kind of fast forward through mundane things or suggest, Mm -hmm. like, monotony? Uh Uh-huh very much so yeah. yeah but in a very it's what the beginning interesting... of this movie is about yeah and I, I so, so Edgar Wright also directed Scott Pilgrim and he does the same oh, stuff in there too yeah, yeah. That's right. where like you know the things that we do as ritual daily rituals like using the bathroom taking a shower playing a video game making toast those uh-huh. things are all very trivialized but also heightened interest like it makes it look badass and yeah you know it it, it, it gives a sense of urgency to something mundane like that
0: Sure. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it a lot. This is a British comedy, too. So, a lot of the terminology in it was very new to me. Um, like, one of my absolute favorite lines where Bill Nye's sitting on the couch and uh, the Sean comes guy? in. And he, and the science guy, yes. Uh, he, Sean comes in and he's like, Oh, you got what's wrong with your arm or whatever. And, and Barbara comes in and says something about like going to the hospital. And he's like, No, no, I ran it under a cold tap. Yeah. But like that, that's just something that British people say that, you, you know, Americans don't really say very much like, sure. I, you know, we, we'd say we ran under the sink or something, you know, no, it, ran it, it under the faucet. And the whole, uh,
1: you know, it's the phone isn't busy. It's engaged. Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of and and the fact that they're using a cricket bat instead of a baseball bat, uh-huh. which you'd, with, in the zombie apocalypse, uh-huh. Louisville Slugger versus cricket bat I don't know if there is like an Edinburgh oh, man. An Edinburgh <laughs> uh, hitter uh-huh. or a London uh, whacker. whacker. Yep. Yeah, there you go. London, London whacker, whacker. A Wales whacker. <laughs> uh, but, but the equivalent. W-
0: what do you got in the zombie apocalypse? Uh, I'm taking the Welsh whacker. I'm taking the cricket bat because it has more angles. Yeah. I think you could, you could penetrate deeper into a skull. It's more efficient for cracking. Things.
1: I I agree. Like it seems like it's less solid, but if you actually look at the cross section, it's kind of like thicker in the middle where you think it'd be weak. And you I, you wouldn't use like a paddle; use like a wooden sword. So you get yeah. that all the weight of a bat, but the surface area that you're contacting the skull is yeah. much more. It's a it's a blunted, but yet sharper weapon.
0: Yeah, you know why they tell you also like, it's better for blocking.
1: Like you know, if you like okay. you want to put something between yourself and a zombie's jaws, I'd rather have six inches of pine. Yeah. than, you know.
0: A uh, stick, inch. essentially. Sure, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you, know, you know how they tell you not to crack eggs on like the side of a bowl. Why? Did, why they, did they, they, they tell you to that? crack them on a flat surface? Really? It's because the the egg shell particles get uh-huh. pushed further into the egg and huh. can get you know caught up in the the whites of it. But like I would imagine, the same principle applies to a cricket bat. Where if you can get an edge on a skull, it will fragment the skull a little bit better, hmm. giving you better access to the brain. I bet it does. <laughs> it's my theory on why I'm taking the cricket bat. See, I crack eggs with a
1: kitchen knife, you know, like a six-inch chef's knife. You just tap them? I like, no. I I hold the egg by the fat end, and I kind of like just do this sharp, quick cut, and I've got it down to where the knife cuts through like eighty percent of the shell. The samurai and breaks, of egg yeah, cracking. Yeah, then here. it breaks and hinges and pours right <laughs> into the thing. Holy shit! Okay, so that's I, I've never heard of that. I don't know. I thought. I, I got the idea from watching. Um, I remember the first night I, I went to a um, hibachi grill and they the chefs doing all the weird thing. And I'm like, oh, this is a bunch of bullshit. It's uh, for show. Except
0: for that egg thing. I'm yeah, like, up the
1: egg and he caught it on the edge and it was like the perfect amount of brown. You know, it's like I I wouldn't do any that fancy, but I could see this being reproducible hmm. and better than. Because sometimes you get the eggshell in there and I'm, I'm never, I mean, yeah. this, it just seems like a more elegant solution for a
0: civilized time. Okay. Yeah, I'd never heard of that. <laughs> uh i don't know there, there's so much stuff in here that works because it, you're not paying so much attention to it and they don't draw your attention necessarily to it Like one of the best
1: underrated bits in the movie i think is when he's trying to ascertain whether his mom's been bit he's like mom have you been bit and she's like no but philip has and he's like oh okay and yeah. then, <laughs> then as you're processing that that that's a stepfather and he's like i ah, fuck him uh-huh. Uh, Nick Frost comes up mass saying, Your mother's been bitten. No, That's his father. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> yeah, and everybody's like, Look okay, what the
0: repetition helps, too, right? Like, yeah. you think, Okay, they made a joke that was pretty funny, and then when they repeat it, it's even funnier.
1: And then, while you're recovering from that, uh, you know, Simon Pegg's trying to argue with his mother about the wisdom of picking him up, and then uh, Ed grabs the
0: phone and screams into it, We're coming to get you, Barbara. <laughs> Which, obvious callback from Night of the Living Dead. So, so good. and so There good. are a bunch of those in here. I felt like uh, when Liz breaks up with him and he goes outside and it starts raining and this, like, 80s synth track starts playing, I felt like that was an homage to Return of the Living Dead. Yeah. that that kind of music combined with – in Return of the Living Dead, the thing that causes the uh, the dead to start rising from their graves is that this toxin gets put up into the atmosphere and then rain comes down and just covers the land in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I felt like that was part of part of a gag there. But Can I no, I'm ask not sure. you, someone that's a,
1: a student of zombie lore, and this is something, you know, I've been uh, been podcasting for five years now on the zombie show, uh-huh. or at least four. I still understand this.
0: What's the deal with saying the word zombie in a zombie film? I think it's a tribute to Romero because Romero never calls his zombies zombies, he okay. calls them flesh eaters, he calls them. Uh, uh, What does he call them? Something ghouls. Uh, is something... He call yeah. I think he refers to them as ghouls from time to time, uh, especially in Night of the Living Dead. Yeah, I think that's just a tribute to Romero. Like, let's honor this guy by not trivializing them with this word. Hmm. How do you feel about that? Do you think that's a cool piece of culture, or I've honestly never cared. Huh. To be to be perfectly honest, I. Like, I respect people who want to respect the man that way, but uh-huh. at the same time, who really cares? Yeah, You know? I say zombie. Um, I don't make a distinction between if you were, Romero If you were and... making
1: a new zombie film, uh-huh. would your characters call it a zombie? I guess the other thing is, it seems like they like the fact that it makes it seem more real. Like, that this is a world okay. that doesn't know about zombies as a fake creature.
0: But that seems
1: to me like it's...
0: Is not
1: our world? Yeah, I understand. Like, no one has a problem with using the word vampire in a vampire movie because this yeah. is like no one believes. Like, our world is no one believes the vampires are real. I be like, if is it the fact were... that zombies are an entirely modern creation? Uh, I I don't know. I've always thought that's weird. But why is like honestly. aliens? People call aliens aliens, even though that's an sure. entire that's a, a kind of a contemporary example too. I
0: mean, it, it's the same with anything, right? Like, uh, you you make a movie. About a man exploring the Serengeti and he doesn't know what a lion is. That would be fucking weird, right? It is.
1: But it would also be weird if... I'm trying to explain why it's not weird for vampires because... So I think the conceit of vampires is we believe that it is now a fairy tale, but back in the okay. day, people used to believe in, like, no shit, that vampires were real. Yeah. And you can use a vampire in a modern movie because it's, like, essentially it's, like, you thought that they were fake, but they're actually... All that stuff that you thought was a fantasy and a fairy tale is real. Uh-huh. I don't... I guess it doesn't work with zombies because zombies something just people made up. Like, zombie is a word for this whole voodoo culture, but that's not the kind of zombie at all that is no. is, is in the modern... That we use in the modern day sense of the word. So... Like I said, I, I don't I think you're right. It's it's a little bit of that respect thing, but also mm-hmm. a lot of the people that are doing that, like uh I remember in a season one interview The Walking Dead, they're like, We're not gonna say zombie because we think it's more realistic that way.
0: I think that's foolish. That is weird to me, yeah. yeah. It's hard it's hard to make that argument. If you're trying to portray a realistic modern world, using the word zombie would come up all the time. I guess it's like, okay, so what if you had a superhero movie where
1: Instead of it being this alternate universe where superheroes are real, this like all of a sudden Iron Man was really real.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And people would be like, 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 let's say that you literally had a guy who's just like Tony Stark. Let's say Bill Gates comes with a, a suit. Okay. And everybody uh-huh. says like, well, we don't call him Iron Man because that's a fictional thing that's happening now. That's weird. No, I think everyone would call him Iron Man. Okay. Or, so like, or at the very least you'd call him a superhero, right? Yeah, people would absolutely call them superheroes. So it's like, yeah. if, if right now a zombie plague happened, people would call them, they'd call them fucking zombies. You would think so. It so. somehow so. boomerangs back to less
0: realistic. I
1: completely agree with that, yeah. Now, this movie is, is a big joke. Yeah. You know, they just mm-hmm. turn into a, a joke, but I, I've always wondered about that. And I still don't know now, so thanks for that. No problem.
0: That's what <laughs> I'm here for. Uh, I do like at the end where he turns on the TV... And all it is is zombies. It's talk shows uh, about people who've married zombies and still love zombies. It's zombie game shows. It's news articles on zombies, biopics on zombies. You thought the glut of zombie stuff that came after these two movies, 28 Days Later and Shaun of the Dead, was bad. Wait until the zombie outbreak really happens.
1: I will say that I also thought that the way they treated the zombie outbreak was relatively realistic kind of a slow slow creep a slow Not a slow creep that was seemed to be very locally isolated that eventually the world prevailed um like yeah. i buy that a lot more than i buy zombies take over the world you know yeah yeah brook style
0: see that's what i really like about both of these movies i think you're right this film does a really good job kind of you know slowly and in a very mundane way introducing us to this concept of zombies uh roaming London in a very different way. 28 days later does the same thing where it Mm -hmm. says, okay, this rage virus, there's a reason why it's going to spread super fucking fast. Sure. It's because it is ultra virulent. It Mm -hmm. is, it is instantly contagious. And the people who acquire it are bloodthirsty and are, sprinting yes sprinting around the sure. uh, london which is a very dense populated area. i should say that i find and, that style of like ebola fast
1: zombie to be more compelling than the walking dead style too
0: sure yeah i i totally understand why okay. you feel that way all right uh I, but but it's great also because it's contained to the the united k the, the united kingdom <laughs> united yeah. k yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like a gas station or something yeah. <laughs> uh it, and and you know it's It can't get off the island. It's not like this is going to somehow magically spread across the entire world at the same time. Yeah. That's a big problem I have with a lot of zombie stuff, is that people are just overwhelmed universally across the planet Mm -hmm. instantaneously. Yeah. That feels really strange. Yeah. No, I
1: I enjoyed that aspect, and I also enjoyed the premise that once the crisis was over, you would have this class of people. Would you just... Exterminate them, shove them in an the oven. Can they be rehabilitated? <laughs> is there a cure yeah. for disease? Like, I think that that is kind of an interesting way to look at it too. In in contents of in in, in the also, context of a outbreak that's been contained,
0: yeah, I I don't know because the zombies are in some ways a very existential threat, right? Mm-hmm. Like this thing, if we allow people to keep their pets pet zombies in their sheds, this thing could very easily spread again cause the same problem it did before yeah i mean is, certainly society is more how, aware but
1: how 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 these zombies could be rehabilitated to some kind of useful life because otherwise you've got like a it's kind of similar into uh aids the aids epidemic right like okay uh in the sense that people could If they wanted to spread AIDS more effectively than it is, like if you just want to be an asshole and give people. the Yeah, I suppose so. Like it's there's nothing stopping people other than people, by and large, people aren't horrible human beings. Sure. So like, yes, they have a fatal disease. But could they, you know, if they still retain a shred of their humanity, then they wouldn't want to necessarily spread that around. So it's, it's, it's like just, just like we don't okay. round up everyone with tuberculosis or Ebola yeah. and AIDS and anything else and like, oh, we're so afraid that we're going to – I mean that's kind of the initial – like there's like an initial hysteria about Ebola or even think about how AIDS is viewed in the 80s. Like you got before Ryan White. It's like, oh, my God, if you hug a person, can you get it? Yeah. If yeah. you share, if you if you drink from the water fountain, you eventually get more and more information. You find out that everything's not that bad and people start accepting it. Mm-hmm. Is there anything like that with this, this take on the zombies thing? It's like, well, after Maybe. all the biting and stabbing is over, it's like, well, we've kind of come to understand what the limitations and and abilities and the safe handling of it. And it's not that bad.
0: You could be right. Um, I, I mean, that could just be exemplified in Ed himself, you know, in the garage, he, or in the shed, he's, you know, he initially tries to bite Sean when he comes in, but then he goes back to doing what he did before, yeah. you know? And that's, I feel like that's a slight nod to Romero as well. But another year later, maybe he doesn't even try to bite him. And yeah, you know, who knows? I mean, they're from what I've read, they're six months out after the, there you go, the, the end of this film. So, uh, Yeah, you could be right. There could be some... There's a 12-step zombie program. <laughs> okay. The first step is biting. We know that.
1: <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's to realize that there's, you don't have to bite people. Okay. I realize you have a problem. Yeah, I realize <laughs> I have a problem. Submit to a higher power, the cricket bat. Mm-hmm. Uh, What else do we want to talk about?
0: Uh, Do you have a favorite scene? I have a distinct favorite scene in this film. Hmm. Well, let me tell you mine. I'll give you a few minutes to think here. Okay. My favorite scene in this movie is when they're in the Winchester bar, and mm-hmm. the bartender comes out, and he's a zombie, and Queen starts playing, and they start smacking him with pool cues, and then David goes to the back. He's flipping the breakers, trying to get the jukebox to turn off, and the zombies are outside dancing to a light show well, there's essentially a queen concert going yeah, on no, in the middle of this movie. It's surreal. That's very well constructed. <laughs> it is. That's it's very beautiful. Well constructed. Beautiful scene. Uh, uh anything else?
1: In a very similar way, I like the where they're planning the multiple escape plans where it's like we'll pile in Okay. what's his Phillips car and we'll go over to the flat and we'll rescue. It, and like they're in, in his head, the way that's going is almost like ballet. Yeah, like the yeah. way Nick Frost and Simon Pegg have the people like in their arms and they're kind of like crisscrossing and <laughs> like this – and there's big big, elaborate show smiles. smiles. It's very idealistic, right? Yeah, and it's a little bit of Groundhog Day where every, it, it changes a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, actually changes a lot. They don't reuse any of that footage. Every single one of those iterations – they do it slightly different. Yeah, they do. Like it's shorter and shorter. The whole sorry about this, Philip. Uh, uh-huh. I I I found that very satisfying, and that it started off amusing and it got funnier and funnier before
0: by the end. Yeah, and then Especially, just acknowledging that you don't want to see this whole thing three times, right? But we want to do it, and so we'll shorten it, and yeah, it'll work and even make better. that part of the joke. And also, yeah. the the
1: payoff is his ultimate plan is to go to the fucking bar.
0: I Right? That's such a bad idea. We were
1: watching this after we've spent years, you know, we're grizzled zombie veterans at this point. We're like, that apartment is way easier to defend. Oh, yeah. Probably has better access to food and water than the bar. That bar is, like, on ground level with giant glass windows.
0: I I agree. And it, it felt like they justified it by saying there's a gun there. The Quickie Mart, which the makes Quickie sense, Mart had you know?
1: rolled down, had rolling down steel shutters. Like I'm thinking, go to the Quickie Mart.
0: <laughs> yeah, you got all that
1: food. You got all that water. That's true. Yeah, you, you're not just going to be eating beer, beer, drinking beer, and eating peanuts
0: in the dark. I felt like this this Winchester rifle. The rifle itself was some kind of a holy grail within this movie, where they believe that that would solve all their problems. Right. I mean, in the UK, I've got to imagine that. It's not as easy oh, God, to access no. guns as it is here in America I think by a long of,
1: shot. That was one of the, the tropes. It's like this guy's got to be somehow connected to be able to have – Because he has a gun. I thought that in England it's not that hard to own a long gun, like a I think rifle you're right. or a shotgun, yeah. that something that has legitimate sporting purposes. I could be wrong. Maybe they're all illegal and you have to have yeah. – I do know that they're like to probably be registered and you have to have a permit and fingerprinted and all that stuff. Whereas in America – some places you don't need shit to carry anything and yeah. and a lot any state that i've been in the worst you need to do is basically go and apply for a concealed carry permit if you want to actually you know carry a gun not openly yeah but if you just want to strap a rifle to your
0: back or a gun to your hip it's like go for it sure so i i felt like that was the the thing that propelled them toward the winchester you know mm. this idea that the gun is going to make us safe mm. from these things and ultimately, I mean, it helps, but they only have 29 shots with it, and it's like, that that's not effective. No. A single gun among five people. I right. mean, David makes the point, five of us are going to operate one gun? Yeah, right. What's the point?
1: Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, And it doesn't save them, right? That's kind of what I'm really looking forward to, Fear the Walking Dead, is because I really hope they get into the early date, because yes, early please. day survival, and do it smart. Like, can I get someone taking over Sam's Club, or... Mm-hmm. Y- you know, something. it's not I don't want to see a, a prison or a Woodbury where they've taken a, and and like built fences and stuff like there's a, a lot of things in modern day society. It seems like they would be pretty easy to defend. And I would like to see some smart early day survival strategy. That would be very satisfying too. to me. Yeah. Like I want to say logistics
0: kind of show yeah. like
1: a MacGyver or a shop teacher from Absolutely. high school or a mechanic or somebody. I don't want to see fucking lawyers and accountants.
0: And I want to see what I thought Glenn was going to be at the beginning of walking dead. Yeah. A tactician, uh, somebody who's going to be smart enough. He's resourceful. He's smart enough to help these people survive. And I've only ever felt like, you know, leadership is the thing that's going to keep everyone afloat here. Hmm. And I hope the fear of the walking dead does more than that. Uh, I, I don't know. I ultimately, like I said at the beginning, this is one of my favorite comedies of all time. I could see it a hundred more times. I don't think it would ever get old, uh, and that—that's true of the entire Cornetto trilogy, honestly. All right. Speaking of the Cornetto trilogy,
1: let's rank the Shaun of the Dead in that. So we got okay. we got Shaun of the Dead, Blue Fuzz, no, nope. okay. uh, hot, hot Fuzz. Jesus <laughs> Christ, you got me screwed up with the I whole know. blue uh, ice cream. Uh, sorry, <laughs> uh, Hot Fuzz and World's End. Yeah, let's rank them. God I- damn you. <laughs> <laughs> My number one, so I, I, I have a clear preference. I have uh, Hot Fuzz, Shaun of the Dead, World's End, first, second, third, hmm. and and it, I don't hate the World's End. Yeah. I find it the least satisfying of them, and I think Hot Fuzz is just really on point. It's it's the funniest one. It's got the more interesting situation. Uh-huh. Timothy Dalton is fantastic in that everybody's fantastic. I mean, more so
0: than Pierce Brosnan. The
1: Hound is in that. You're right. From Game of Thrones. Yeah, Yeah. There's a lot of really great, (laughs) really great stuff in that. And and for some reason, I guess I'm an 80s action movie guy more than I'm a zombie guy. That makes sense. Hot Fuzz is a really, really 80s, 90s buddy cop turned on its head. Yep. And I love that about it. Yeah, I, I totally get why you like Hot Fuzz the best. Um, Whereas I can see why you would like Shaun of the Dead because it's essentially your favorite thing modernized and, and given the the right Frost peg, yeah.
0: And it's the first; it has the nostalgia touch. factor going. Yeah, um, I I I struggle with whether The World's End is better than Shaun of the Dead. I know a lot of people are going to just go crazy at me saying that. Um, I'm a. I am I do not think that's a popular yeah, opinion. I, I thought The World's
1: End would would be consistent kind of.
0: Everyone's least... Now again, it's not terrible. It's a good film. It's just not as good as the others. I thought the themes of you know being stuck in the past and growing up were a lot more uh, on display in The World's End. But it's also something a I lot more
1: ham-fisted and harder for me to relate to. Like, this okay. kind of trouble, failure to launch, I can relate to. The World's End, like, peaking in high school and always want to recapture high school, that's the... That is anathema to me. <laughs> I
0: fucking I, hated okay, school. Yeah. Uh-huh.
1: The fact that I had to show up for some place for eight hours a day and you get paid, fuck all that. because like, you weren't Gary and, and fucking being, King, and, and man. Being, and being forced to hang out with a bunch of assholes I didn't like, and no, not, I didn't like no. anything about it.
0: Yeah, well, this guy had a different experience in high school. There you go. I guess, I, I mean,
1: maybe I'm glad that I was kind of an outcast in, in high school and I didn't identify with because... Honestly, they're gearing up for my 20-year mm. high school reunion. Uh-huh. And the message boards are sad and depressing, man. <laughs> like, the people lining up like, this is going to be the greatest thing you ever can't win. I'm like, oh, <laughs> wow, yeah.
0: Yeah, man. Uh-huh. That's that's terrible. Like, they've had no better experiences. A bunch of Gary Kings at your high they're school. They're
1: still living in Mooresville. Yeah.
0: They're still hanging out to say, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. There's something about that movie, man. The, especially the ending. I fucking love the ending where the aliens just give up. They're like, oh, my God, you guys are so, so immature, so unevolved. I can't even believe it. We're out of here. And just the, the, the defiant nature of Nick Frost and Simon Pegg yeah. and, and their gleeful stupidity. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's something that really tickles me about the ending of that. I don't know exactly what it is, but I find it hilarious. And throughout the movie, I like. there's a lot of stuff that, like I said, carries through. I I really like how... In Shaun of the Dead, you have, you know, David gets ripped apart. His guts come out and his legs come off. And then, uh, f- fuck, what's her name? Diane. Diane goes outside trying to beat zombies with the legs mm-hmm, of David. Sure, And then, you know, in The World's End, that's, that becomes a thing. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God, the limbs are popping off these people. Yeah. And we're going to use them as weapons. And yeah. I, I love that, those tie-ins. I, I'm going to say Shaun of the Dead is one World's End is two, and Hot Fuzz is three. Shocking. But they're all so amazing. Shocking. I mean, that, that's like, say, like, if you asked me where I put them against other films, I think it would be more telling. Like, you know what? I was just thinking, it's like, that's, if you had said, uh, World's End, Shaun of the Dead, Hot
1: Fuzz, had been actually the opposite of mine, but I think you're actually more opposite, because there's not a single place where we agree on <laughs> Yeah, you know, at least we'd okay. be like, okay, Shaun of the Dead is the, the, the core that everything best, else yeah. orbits around. But no, it's right. like there is nothing we agree on. That's interesting. All right. All right. Do you think that uh, Hot... Okay, because like I said, I, I don't think World's End is a bad movie. It's just my least favorite. It's the re, yeah. It's the Return of the Jedi. Although in my case, I like Return of the Jedi better than A New Hope. So it'd be like mm. my A New Hope. Uh, do you think that Hot Fuzz is a bad movie?
0: Hell no. Okay. so well, it's I think like, Hot Fuzz is a work of genius. Okay.
1: So it's just it's just a degrees of affection.
0: Yeah, it's like ranking Stanley Kubrick's films. How do you like two thousand one better than The Shining? I don't fucking know. I do, sure. (laughs) Okay, but you're not saying the two thousand one is light years better than The Shining. That The Shining is a shitty movie, right? No, I'm not. Yeah, they're still both works of genius. It's just compared to each other, uh, you have to rank them somehow. Okay, yeah, that's a good good i I do think
1: that I don't know I haven't seen all of his work, but I think I feel like that Kubrick has probably made a bad movie. like what I want full say, metal jackets amazing so I, I eyes need, wide shut is better than it sounds. that's the thing. like I saw Eyes Wide Shut is one of the first radar movies I ever saw, and I'm just like, what the fuck? If this is where, what if this is what adult <laughs> movies are, then you were in maybe, it for the tits, though. Maybe, Admit it. Admit no, it. Not really. No. I, okay. No. Because I've I discovered the internet pornography long before I discovered it no, true. All right. Movies. So I've yeah. never been in it for the tits when it comes to entertaining. <laughs> At most, it's a pleasant surprise. Okay, um, but I then I I I heard Bill Simmons and Chuck Klosterman debating the merits of that movie. And they had this really interesting take where, like, Chuck Klosterman sees this as Stanley Kubrick found something very deeply strange about Nicole Kidman and Tom Cruise's relationship. Yeah. So he brought the – he decided to make a movie to drive them both insane and fracture it. That's what I've heard, too. Like, literally, that's the story. That blow – I mean, if that's true, and even if it's not, I want to rewatch that movie with that – lens because yeah. that seems like a really interesting take and it's also consistent with what i know about kubrick oh yeah because kubrick is a maniac uh uh-huh. and and getting a guy like tom Cruise, this perfect dude and like get i getting him away from the church and 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 working him over for a solid year of kubrick treatment yeah. to, as, as a psychological experiment that i i might not like that movie a hell of a lot more
0: i think you would yeah you should do some reading like more reading on the backstory of it mm-hmm. and then go watch it again hmm. Yeah, I'm... I think it's just as brilliant as any of its other ones. Okay, uh, it just you know it was dismissed uh, because of the subject matter. I think largely. All right. Anyway, that has nothing to do with Shaun of the Dead. No, not really. <laughs> Anything else you want to say about this movie before we wrap it up? I,
1: no, I just want to say uh, thanks uh, once again to Joel Harris for uh, yeah. back for for pulling this off the shelf and uh, making it happen, and let everybody know that if you like the idea of making us watch something and, and talk for uh, about it for some indeterminate length of time, find out how you can do that by going to bald slash shop and clicking on the whole, the, the movie reel idea. And it shows you the, the, the price and the premise and There's also the- a
0: fancy new shop link in
1: the, the main nav
0: ooh there you go so <laughs> finally go got to one of those yeah
1: lots of different ways to get there but uh thanks it's a it's a, a really great way to, to support us and we really enjoy doing them i've had a, a really good time with all these commission casts yeah me too we got to still some more really cool stuff coming up I oh mean, yeah
0: tons of it
1: the matrix, I think the matrix
0: might be the next one the or heat or something like i've been
1: watching a lot of the matrix because it's been on ifc okay so like what My go-to thing when I'm compiling feedback, because I spend hours a week compiling feedback and coming up the spoiler, is I like having television on in the background. Yeah, yeah. And so I'm, in consequence, watching a lot of stuff again for the first time. And I've been in, in the, the final two matrix, or the hmm. part two and part three have been on a lot. So I But not the first not one. Not one? Why? Not one. That's I don't weird. know.
0: It's the best one. It is. They want more money for that.
1: Probably want to contextualize that in... Like talk once we see the Matrix, talk about like maybe real briefly what went wrong.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna need to watch the whole trilogy for that podcast. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I I don't mind though. You know, well, honestly. we get
1: extort the listeners
0: for the other two. Well, I'm not gonna talk in detail about the other two. <laughs> oh, it's, a,
1: it's an, okay. I'm. I'm it's, it's a tease. Yeah. Not, okay, I'm, I'm back yeah, on yeah. board. I'm back on board. <laughs> Flash a little bit of ankle. Uh huh. All right. Uh no, but thanks, Joel. We really appreciate it. I uh, hope you enjoyed our wide-ranging and ridiculous review of this movie. It's yep. a wide-ranging, ridiculous movie. I think it's an appropriate podcast.
0: Yeah, and I'd love to hear what people think about it on the forums as well, forums.baldmove.com. Uh, I guess we should make threads for these commissioned ones, yeah? There's nothing stopping people that want to talk about it to make
1: a thread. That's my position. Okay. Like, I really want the you won't do to be the work, for the people. But- I do it for our <laughs> official shows and all that. So, yeah, that's an art. God damn it. That's an argument that I should. <laughs>
0: All right, I'm going to pile the work on Aaron here if we continue this (laughs) podcast. That's the other half of my week is
1: fucking starting threads and creating WordPress articles and scheduling shit. It's like paperwork. Yep. Bald move bureaucracy.
0: That's it. Uh, Thanks again, Joel Harris. And we will see you next time for whatever movie we're covering. Yeah. Uh, It should be next Monday. Yep. Stay tuned. Bye-bye.